to Pleasant Good Evening, Mets fans, and welcome back to the Pleasant Good Evening podcast. Sam Levelitz with Jack Hendon. As always, it's episode 94. Jack and I realized before coming on here, we're past two years of doing this for you guys. So as always, thank you guys for listening. A interesting week in Mets land, Jack, a three and three week. Some good, some bad. We'll talk about both. Before we do, though, how are you doing, Jack? I'm good. I had a good Labor Day, you know, missed a lot of the Nats series, got a lot of the Dodgers series. So uh, I'm I'm honestly like I don't feel that much pain. I think we'll probably do a lot of talking about the anguish of the weekend. But like I, I had a fun weekend. Girlfriend That's... and I went out of town. It was great. We had a lot of fun. Um, That's sick. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm jealous because um, I, I kind of had the opposite. I kind of did a whole lot of nothing and I did get a whole lot of that Mets Nats series, which uh, we'll talk about soon because we wanted to start with the bad, but you know, I'm in my off season now. And now that I'm graduated, there's just not a lot going on for me right now. So um, we're podcasting as hire him, hire the guy, hire me. I looking for jobs in baseball media, hire Sam uh, hashtag hire Sam hashtag Stan PGE. Okay. Mets. Mets podcast, not a, a, a Sam employment podcast. So uh, two or three from the Dodgers. Good. We'll talk about that a little further down the road today. But the bad was that they dropped a series. I don't even know how many series they've dropped, period, this year. They dropped a series to the Washington Nationals. Yeah. I mean... <sighs> Yeah, they did. They really did. I, I'm again, I'm I'm not that worried about it. I know that this is like just ridiculous to think that the Mets are going to drop a series to the worst team in baseball. But like, I don't know. I mean, we've definitely mentioned this before, but like the Dodgers got swept by the Pirates at one point. Um, like I'm they're They're playing the Pirates next. Like, you know, maybe that means we'll also get swept by the Pirates, but they haven't gotten swept all year which is a good thing. Um, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm sort of just chalking it up to like a day that they just kind of lost because they lost and a day that they lost because they pushed Carlos Carrasco back from injury. I think that a lot of people would elaborate that game into something a little bit more uh, symptomatic of this team. I think a lot of people might argue at the, you know, on the heels of the series that this team is running out of energy or running out of stamina Um I don't know if I really buy that personally, just because again, they won two or three from the Dodgers. Uh, but does it like, is it kind of embarrassing? It is kind of embarrassing, especially because like this team rolled over for the Braves. I don't know how many times this year, they maybe won two or three games against the Braves all season. Um, and now the Braves are a game back. I mean, really that's, I think, again, what the core of people's fears are is that the Braves just will not die. And, uh, the Mets have the easy schedule now, so it should be smooth sailing. And like, it just isn't like they just do not die. Yeah, I think that in a, in a weird way, I feel like this series, obviously, like we can attribute whatever we want to attribute. I think I'm more in the in the area of like, if we're going to attribute this to like baseball reasons, it's the, the you know, the, the offense has has been struggling for the better part of the last two weeks. Um, a lot of the wins have been fairly low scoring wins. And, and really since that Philadelphia series where they 
really were tearing the cover off the baseball. And especially at that Sunday game, that weird wild Sunday game, the Nate Fisher game, it feels like since then um, they've just been a little more not doing their jobs um, on the offensive side. So like, I think if there's a baseball reason we can attribute it to that, but I, I feel like there's like a little bit of a, a hangover here, like a Dodgers series hangover. Like there was so much, like so much effort that went into competing with the Dodgers, especially after they dropped the first game of that series. And they come out, DeGrom shoves in game two. Nimmo makes that insane catch. I was there. It was a great game. We'll talk about it more later. And then in the finale of that series, they come back and they win the rubber match. Yeah. Um, I think that that, you know, so much effort and, and strenuous baseballing went into those two wins and the three games in general against the Dodgers playing them so close um, that you come out and it's like, okay, we're facing, you know, we go from the best team in baseball to one of, if not the worst teams in baseball. And, you know, there's no guaranteed wins in major league baseball. This is not a 16 or a 15 and two team playing an 0 and 17 team. You know, this is not like a guaranteed win situation. This is not the one seed in the NBA playoffs playing the eight seed. There are no guaranteed wins in baseball. Anyone can beat anyone on any given day. And whether the Mets uh, were tired after the Dodgers series or came out a little, a little less effortful, a little more lackadaisical against the nationals or the nationals just saw blood in the water and in a Mets team that uh, maybe needed a break. And they just played them really, really tightly and played them really well. And you lose two games. Not only do you lose two games to the nationals, but you lose both of those games seven to one by identical scores. You lose by six runs in both those games. And you had some really ugly innings against that nationals team. So Kudos to the Nationals, I think, for playing so well against the Mets this weekend. But also, I mean, the Mets just didn't show up in those last two games in the series. It was like, okay, I was a little worried about the hangover thing. And then they won the first game of the series. And I was like, ah, they're fine. They're still this good baseball team, you know, but whatever. And then games two and three happen. I don't see I that that first game is probably where I'm less inclined to believe this is a hangover thing. I think for us as fans there's some sort of whiplash taking place because you expect everything to remain clear skies. Um, and then they lose to, you know, the next two games, both seven to one. I think there's another point to be made about the flavors of those two losses. Cause I think of them very differently. Um, I think of them both as managerial losses more so than team losses. I think the offense being what it is right now is a problem. Um, it was honestly a bit of a problem in the Dodger series uh, it was a bit of a problem, especially at the tail end of that Rocky series. Like, I'm definitely worried about that. But they lost on Saturday because they gave Adonis Medina the ninth inning down one run. And well, like, okay, they also only scored one run off of like the worst qualified starter in the National League. Right, but I mean, they lost seven to one because they gave Adonis Medina the ninth inning instead I, of instead of losing two to one. Yeah, which right, like, they probably that, that were about to do. Unplayable. That's my insight on it. And then Sunday was just like. Sunday was also managerial, both on Buck's part and like the team's part, because they clearly rushed Carlos Carrasco back. And like now they're in a bind that they probably shouldn't have even needed to be in. Um, 
And that's upsetting, like, as a fan, because you didn't think you were going to have these problems anymore after they took two or three to the Dodgers. And I know that, like, there are no guarantees in baseball, you know, winning games and whatnot. But, like, this is the closest thing, I think, to a guarantee that there could have been, at least that you take two or three. Um, And they just didn't have it at all on Sunday. They looked bad all the way through. The offense continued doing what it's done the whole time. And now you have to worry about, like, cobbling innings together um, you have to worry about how in the world you're going to figure out the last spot or two in your rotation, right? Because if Carrasco's not available, it's kind of down to Taiwan Walker. And if Walker continues to have this issue where like he's only going like four or five innings and he looks hurt every other start, like I don't really know what you do there. Um, I'm, I'm coming away with, I think, a lot more questions about the next couple of weeks than I was at the end of this Dodgers series. Cause at the end of this series of the Dodgers, I really was like, I felt just such an attachment to this team. And I felt something really, really strong about where this team was headed. And, um, you know, we are kind of back at square one where we're sort of looking behind our, you know, over our shoulders again because of the Braves. And that's, that's frustrating. I still don't know how much of this is going to be like a hangover thing for them because they were also getting more days off. They head off today because the Pirates game got rained out. I think that was probably in everyone's best interests, including the Pirates, because like, you know, they don't have to play baseball today, and that's that's good for everyone involved. Is a um, rain? Is it fair to call it a rain out? That might be a misnomer. I think postponed yeah. would be better. Yeah. They just kind of rain checked it, I guess. Postpone because of threat of inclement weather that never happened. Yeah. I mean, who, who even called that was, that was the pirates. Cause they were, were the home team. They were the ones who decided to yeah. like, all right. What, like you sure. want to play the game, postpone the game. The and they're doing, yeah. You know, what's weird about it is the, is the fact that they're doing a split double header on Wednesday. Yeah. When the, both teams have mutual off dates on Thursday. I'm not so bothered by that. I'm happy that they keep their off day on Thursday. I think any off day that these guys can have where we get an opportunity to put the whole, like, fatigue thing to rest will be good um the Wednesday cap is going to be Bassett and DeGrom back to back so I'm not totally like I'm not that concerned about how they're going to use their pitchers again I'm I'm really just hoping that they put hits together against like another team with just a bad pitching staff granted really bad bad not as bad as the Nationals pitching staff um but as far as yeah what happens I think it's another the I mean, really, when you get to the root of what's going on, it isn't that different either from like the problems that we were having in like June or July, where like you weren't getting production from your catcher spot. One guy was standing out as the slump guy. And I think right now that's probably Pete Alonzo. At the end of the Rocky series, it was Lindor that they made the scapegoat. I think Alonzo is sort of the guy that everyone's, you know, putting most of the blame on now. But really, like, you're not getting production out of your DH spot anymore. It's just like when Dom and JD were there. Like Vogelback has not really been producing. Uh, they've been hiding Tyler Naquin. He's only gotten three at-bats since we last recorded. Um, I don't know what that's about. I don't know if they're legitimately like if he's hurt or if they're just not playing him because the matchups are all bad. Darren Ruff uh, remains kind of missing in action. Like that – I'm actually concerned about. I'm not worried about Alonzo. I'm not worried about the usual guys because they have always turned it around, even in the course of a 162-game season. Like Mark Canna has played a 162-game season. Jeff McNeil has played a 162-game season. Like I'm not that worried about Alonzo. I think it's convenient to worry about him 
because of the derby, because he's, you know, the cerebral player or whatever, who, you know, when he gets in slumps, he looks like he's in his head, but like, he's a professional and he's a professional who plays every day. Um, it's more so those, those sort of part-time guys that like I'm looking at and wondering like where they are. Like at least Eduardo Escobar has been hitting lately from the right side. Um, he homered on Friday night. He homered on Saturday night. I'm really happy to see that he's doing that, but is, is anyone else really going to do it? I mean, the pirates are a perfect team to just put the, you know, put the smack on and, and they're not really, uh, I'm, I don't know how confident I am in them right now. So. Yeah. Like the pirates suck. Yeah. That's, that's something that I think we really need to make clear. The pirates are bad. Yeah. This is, is there's, there is not a single pitcher on that entire staff who I'm like, ah, yeah, maybe they get shut down a little bit by them. Uh, David Bednar. Like, that's it. He gets one inning a game. Too. He's a closer. Like, yeah. yeah. You know you know how best to deal with really good closers, Jack? You know the best strategy for dealing with elite closers? Um, Don't go into the ninth inning in a save situation with your team losing. Okay. I was, I was going to say you could lock them in the bathroom. Win. Yeah, you can do that too. Yeah. So, like, Bednar might not even be – I mean, he'll probably pitch in the series, but, like, if the Mets are, you know, uh, the 100-win team that we expect them to be at this point in the season, I mean, he probably should not get a save situation in this series. So Back to when David Bednar got uh, a relief appearance in the All-Star game and Edwin Diaz did not. Well, Edwin told him. Edwin Edwin wanted him to. Did you Edwin. not see that, that that came out after the fact that Edwin Edwin told the, the National League managerial staff was, like, if you have a choice between the two of us, use Bednar. I've pitched in an all-star game before. It's okay. I see. I didn't see that, but I'm not going to forget that that happened. Um, That's yeah, it's totally fine. I was just, I had the same opinion of it. And then they were like, ah, Edwin said it was okay. And I was like, ah, all right. He'll, he'll be, uh, I mean, he'll be getting relief appearances like, you know, on the AL for the Astros next year anyway. So it'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, the only, only only major league alumni from Lafayette College in Pennsylvania. I don't know if you knew that. Well, I was talking about Diaz getting relief appearances for the Astros. Oh, I, yeah, thought, I, was... I thought you were implying that Bednar was going to get traded to Houston. Well, he will. The Pirates good. will trade him for uh, a bag of, you know, chewed up pencils or something. But, like, yeah, Diaz will also be pitching for the Astros. Um, ah, don't say that. That makes yeah, me sad. My attitude is just on a, you know, I, I, it's because I'm not that worried about the team. I need to fit in other ways to be negative. Man, you spent a, a weekend on a beach this weekend, yeah. man. You're not supposed to be a uh, high strung. Uh, well, you know that brave series, man. That bra- I'm hearing, I can hear the mute. I can hear that chop music. Like it's just, it's you know, it's it's oh, it's. Yeah, I hope it doesn't. I mean this series is really so easy. And also the Braves are about to, they're about to play the Mariners. Uh, in I think Seattle. After, after oh my this, God. And the Mariners have, have won like seven in a row. Like, Have we talked about this? We haven't. I know we haven't because it's not a Braves or a Mariners podcast. Tangentially a Braves podcast because, you know, they're a game behind the Mets. But the fact that they have to go to Seattle and then come back home, that is the worst. <laughs> that yeah. is, Seattle is... Seattle is the worst singular place to travel to in the major league baseball travel calendar geography, whatever you want to say. like 
not as in it's a bad city. It's a city that, frankly, I want to visit pretty bad because it seems like a great city. It is just tucked in the upper corner of the country. And that if you're anywhere on the eastern seaboard, which Atlanta happens to be, that is a long, long schlep to get to. When the Rays have to go to Seattle, oh, Jesus, man. Like, like whoa, that's tip to tip. That's really bad. So the fact that they, they the Braves got to go there from Atlanta and then yeah. they come back home. Yeah. That's well, a the, lot of travel. The, the, the major league baseball commission commissioner's office is based in New York. You know, this is, this is what they do. Mm. The New York uh, commissioner's office, they took, they took our all-star game. Uh, they, they make the replay calls. They make our schedules. Yeah. The New Plus York. We, we're going to be hearing about this from Braves Twitter like for the for the rest of the month especially if this ends up being a division that's decided within a three game window like people will be pointing at this ah the schedule makers in new york had us go out to seattle they're not very good at accepting the results braves fans i'll just i'll put it i'll put it i'll put it that way they have a problem with it um but listen like next week we might be behind them so again oh my god we might be behind them in two days time uh we're only a game ahead of these Braves. This is the closest the Braves have got. The Mets, yeah. the Mets and Braves have not yet pulled even. They've they've gotten it to one game a couple of times, but they haven't yet pulled even. Right now, considering it came on the heels of us losing a series to the Nationals, is why it's close right now. It was yeah. we were up three games. The Mets were up three games heading into the series against the Dodgers. They were up three games at the remainder of the series against the Dodgers. And now after a series against the Nationals, they're up one game. They lost two games of ground to the Braves well, after playing the Nats. The Marlins and the Nats switched bodies. You oh, know? my God. The Marlins were terrible this week. Yeah, Marlins they lost were, like nine in a row. They're horrible. The and they Marlins were embarrassing this week. They do this every September that the Mets are in a competitive window. They make it harder for the Mets. They did this like – Every they did this in 07, they did this in 08. Um, they did it in 2015 when like they threw behind Cespedes. Do you remember when they like tried to hit him and they actually hurt him? Like they just do this. They they the Marlins are just they need to be investigated. I think yeah, I think okay. Let's let's chat about the the shenanigans they were up to this weekend yeah. in Atlanta. Because all right, so three game lead for the Mets in the in the East. The Mets win on Friday. They have that game in, in cruise control for most of it. They were up 3-0, then it was 3-3, but then they won that game by a wide margin. The Braves were up against the possible Cy Young winner in the National League in Sandy Alcantara. You know what he did? He gave up two run homers to Travis Darno and Vaughn Grissom in the same inning. Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Fraud is what I'm hearing about Sandy Alcantara. He had his first clunker in months. And then and yeah. then what happened game two? The Mets can't score off Patrick Corbin. They let the game get even more away from them late. But, oh, but, oh, my God, maybe the Marlins come back. They're only down one nothing. Kenley Jansen's been awful for a while now. Oh, my God, he's melting down. Oh, my God. Uh, a bases loaded. Oh my God! A sack fly. We've got it. We've got a tie game. We've got a tie game in Atlanta. It's one to one. Bottom of the ninth inning. Stephen Okert walks in the winning run. Mm-hmm. Walks in the walk off run with two out. Yeah. 
And then they got beat by Marcelo Zuna on Sunday, who's like yeah. the worst position player in like the entire National League. Like he's it's it's incredible how like useless the guy is on the field. And I haven't I'm not even going to speak to the kind of you know character he is off of the field. Pretty like, pretty useless off the field too. Marlo, uh, just, they had a they were getting no hit by Max Freed through five innings. They yeah. were only losing one nothing. And then Fareed has to leave the game because they had like a two-hour rain delay. Mm-hmm. And then still they bow out yeah. after Freed loses. Like they still lose by a lot. So he like the that sweep. Uh the Marlins should be contracted for, for their performance this weekend. So okay, just circling back to the Mets, because I like the tangent. Uh but the Mets have plans here. How do you fill the last spot in the rotation right now? Because honestly, you have realistically, you have four people competing for the innings after the first three starters. I know you said earlier that you're concerned about Carlos Carrasco and that they rushed him back. And I think it's fair to say they rushed him back, that he probably needed a rehab start. They you know, they've told us the whole way through that the oblique strain was like the lowest level oblique strain and that, you know, it's not out of the question for him to have made it back this soon. He spent 20 days on the IL. Um, could he have used a tune-up start? Yes. Um, is it also, I think, fair to us as fans and critics of this baseball team to suggest that if he was ready – um, for even a rehab start, that a start against the Nationals, uh, maybe not qualifying as a rehab start, um, certainly also works as a tune-up and that he probably should have been able to give the Mets more than he did against that team specifically. I think that is not unfair to say. Yeah, Like, like I hate the situations where you're just like, where people, where fans are like, you still got to, you know, pitch better. You know, I, I don't care pitch better. Like, that's kind of my vibe here is that if he was comfortable enough to get on a mound, you're facing, like, the worst offensive team in baseball now. Like, go go get him, you know? Yeah, I'm st- – see, I'm still not sure how comfortable he is. Like I said before, I'm still not com- as, you know, so comfortable or sure how comfortable Taiwan Walker is. On oh, I'm much day. more worried about Taiwan. Yeah, I'm – I, I honestly, like, I think there's a real chance that, like, David Peterson ends up getting playoff starts if this continues. Like, if Walker and Carrasco don't pick up at some point and you need a fourth starter, I think that even if it's a tandem thing where, like, you're sharing innings with Trevor Williams, I think David Peterson might actually play himself into a role. Like, I'm – and that's not necessarily a defeatist take on my part. Like, I think David Peterson has just been that consistent lately. Um, and I hope he gets a chance again. It's he's also pitching like to the nationals and, and those teams, but if he's pitching better than that, you know, to them, than Carrasco is, I mean, I, I mean, just Carrasco, like he wasn't getting, you know, I know they were using this word on the broadcast a lot. He wasn't getting shellacked. Like he, there wasn't a lot of hard, hard contact against him. It was, they were kind of singling him to death and, I don't know. I gotta, I just gotta find the counts. He can't fall behind in counts though. That's the thing. Like it's, it's give and take. I think like, I think you're right. 
he's not getting beat around like, you know, like a minor league option, you know, like it's not like when we saw Jose Budo pitching, but like, yeah, like this wasn't, this wasn't like when he was really bad in the first innings yeah. earlier this year and last year when he'd give up like a first inning five spot and it's like, yeah. Jesus, you know, um, this was like, he gave up two, two run singles um, sure. in that third inning. Obviously, the fact that, you know, he gave up the first two-run single and then he walked the next guy, that set up a situation in which, all right, if he wa- reloads the bases with another walk after he's already given up two two-out runs, maybe maybe you don't let him face another guy. But it's also Kiebert Ruiz, who is OPSing in the mid-sixes, and that, sh- you know, is a guy you should be able to get out. Um, so, also, like, just in general, Luis Garcia and Lane Thomas – are guys that you as a pitching staff should be able to get out a whole lot more than you did this weekend. Like Lane Thomas had a streak where he had five hits and five bats. He had to go ahead home run in game two. He had um, hits in his first two trips on this in the Sunday game. Like you gotta, you gotta be able to get Lane Thomas out of all people like Lane, Lane, more like lame Thomas. That's right. That's right. Cesar Hernandez, like, is, is he really that good? Like, he had no home runs this season. Right. Like, I know that Trevor Williams has been good, but he just left something middle in and we let him hit one in the second deck. Zero think, home runs. So, take it back to my general, like, diagnosis of what's going on here. Like, I'm, I'm worried about that part of the pitching staff. And obviously the bullpen is going to be whatever the bullpen is in October, like however they're feeling, whatever their mood is, like, you know, maybe like, you know, Mercury's in retrograde and like Joely Rodriguez will just be good for a couple of weeks because he has those stretches. But like, you know, that's Tyler McGill is kind of like blowing through his rehab and throwing 97 like you do have and potentially Drew Smith comes back and is good too. like you need to see it before you buy into any of it. But like there are reinforcements there aren't really any offensive reinforcements coming, you know, like there's, there's no more big bat walking through that door. They're, they, they, yeah. committed to With not baby hurt. Up. Yeah. Yeah. Mark Vientos is not getting a call up at this point. I don't know how I feel about that, but I don't really think you should have two right-handed hitters who only hit lefties and can't play the field on the same roster when you only have 28 guys. Like, I guess I get it. Um, but like, you know, Terrence Gore is going to be on that postseason roster. So like you need the hitters to hit if that's going to happen. Um, and they're not really doing it. Terrence Gore. I do love Terrence Gore. I, I must say. I, I do love, love the him. concept of him. I love the concept of a guy who is so fast, but literally does nothing else well and just keeps finding jobs on winning teams. And he's got, what does he have? Three rings. Yeah. I think so. Braves, Dodgers, and Royals. He got a ring with the Royals against us. Oh my god! But like, I think I saw a tweet somewhere, and I'm I'm probably misquoting it because I can't remember it off the top of my head. But it was like talk about how Terrence Gore, he like has been on these playoff rosters. He has these rings, but he has like one career playoff stolen base. That can't be true. No, it's it's something like in his last something games or years or something. Like he stole at least three against the Mets. I know this much. Like he was front and center when Travis Darno was getting rocked. But it's something. It is something like that. I'll it's have just to like find. it's like he he's been on 
like he hasn't really contributed much to the last few teams that he's been on or something something like that i'm gonna try to find it really quickly yeah i mean while we're on the subject though like i, I listen it is he it was fun watching him steal that base against the dodgers and buck clearly wants this you know what i mean like it's the same reason jankowski got so much time at the beginning of the year like if buck wants someone who does one specific role like really well he's gonna get it and um they did this i'm telling you now the Mets called him up before the September call-ups happened. He got Brett Beatty's spot on the roster uh, so that he would be eligible to play in the postseason because if he had gotten added to the 40 as a September call-up, he would not have been eligible. But because it was pre-September and they made that decision and just the fact that, like, he's getting a spot for an actual, like, player who has multiple roles on a team, like, they're doing this so that Terrence Gore can at least get an opportunity Um to show that he can play on a postseason roster. And I think he's going to get it. Um, anyway, that's, that's my Gore thing. I like the concept though. And listen, he's won three rings. Like he's played for teams that brought him, put him on their team and then they won the world series. Like, um, so maybe it's a trend. It would be awesome though. If he ends up, you know, he's like 30 now, I think. So he's got a lot of time in his career to, to rack up rings and just outpace some of the best players you know, to never win a ring. Like he's already got more rings than like Ichiro, um, Pedro Martinez. Uh, I guess Pedro has won, so it's not like a it's not a big joke. But he's, I, I don't know. he's just a little tiny man who runs real fast. He's a weird he's, little guy. He's, he's there, thirty-one. Guy. He's he's 31. thirty-one and he's listed at five foot seven. He's been appearing in big league games since twenty fourteen, which feels like that's three years ago, but it's actually nine years ago in yeah. baseball. Um, which is wild. Um, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at his Wikipedia page. In high school football, he averaged over nine yards per carry as a running back his senior year. At, at in college, in in four years of playing baseball at school, he stole 145 bases and hit 474 as a senior. I mean. Look, what sets him apart from a lot of these running, you know, run first guys is that he actually has a successful track record when he attempts to steal bases. He's stolen 41 out of 50. Like that's, that's pretty good. It's not Billy Hamilton. Do you remember when Billy Hamilton was on the Mets and just got thrown out at third base like twice a week? Yeah, Um, it seemed like that. Like it was, you can have fast guys who simply don't know what they're doing. Terrence Gore was a good pull for a guy who you want who's just fast yeah he's already stolen a bag as a met yeah there's a very funny shot of him like i think standing upright on second base like both his feet on the bag next to gavin lux who is not a very tall person he's like and, yeah gavin lux is like six foot and it but in that shot it looks like gore is actually as tall as lux because he's standing on the base and it's a very it's just a very watching baseball picture i yeah. i like it a lot as um, I'm surprised that I haven't seen more memes about the fact that his last name is Gore and like the the villain from the latest Thor movie is called Gore the God Butcher. So like have you seen the variations of that meme where it's like people like take that name and like turn it into something that they're good at like dudes who like crush brews, you know, like Chad the Beer Slayer, you know? No, actually, no, I haven't. But you that's... haven't. Okay, well, I'm surprised people haven't done that. Like, you can do that. You know, Terrence Gore, the 
catcher slayer or stolen base slayer or something. I don't know. Someone there will who's be a lot of there will be a lot of Terrence Gore just stole the a W out of your team's hands. There will be a lot of stuff. Oh, like those that. the little post game memes after yeah, the little the little you just got uh you just uh those are my favorites. You just got outrun by Terrence Gore. Um, yeah, Terrence Gore has joined the Mets in the postseason run just to beat your team. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, is, nothing tops. This is my eat face. Will be featured. The your well, yes. The, this is my eat face is good, especially because like Canna usually, especially of late, like Canna is the guy that actually does the thing that gives them the win. Like, yeah, I love when he does the thing. Um, so yeah. the let's eat face is like really good for those. But um, I mean, anytime they pull out like an amazing finish and you get the your loss will be featured on amazing finishes. Like, yeah, there are a lot of those coming up. Um, Amazing finishes this year is going to be three hours long. It's going to be a movie. I mean, it even if this team, God forbid, loses in the first round of the wild card, um, there are, there are like so many memories that like to give us six or even five really good months um, of Met baseball during this time. Like, it's going to mean a lot. Um, they they can basically like go five and. 20 the rest of the way and they'd still end up with 90 wins um like i i am great shooting for a hundo let's let's shoot, shoot for a hundred yeah, shoot for the hundred shoot for the division shoot for the world series um but i think the degrom game is definitely worth talking about among like oh yes we're gonna we're gonna speaking of 100 win seasons which make us happy we're gonna talk about another thing that makes us happy um now i think which is the mets um, winning a series from the Dodgers and doing it in very dramatic fashion. That was really cool. I yeah. think we should talk about that. Cool. So the good part of this week was the Mets beating the Dodgers. Two of three alluded to it earlier. Talked a little bit about that earlier, but having gone in detail with it yet, now that we've gotten the negatives of this week out of the way, let's get the positives in to the podcast, the pod positives. Um, sure. sure. I didn't, I didn't agree to that, but yeah, we'll call it that. The positives. You see what I'm doing. Um, so, okay. Uh, I was worried. I was worried uh, at the start of that series because I'm always generally like a little bit worried when Taiwan Walker's pitching because I don't, I don't think he's very good. Uh, and I think he's a nice guy. And his tacos looked good and raised some money. Ty's tacos, that little thing they did this week. But that's fine, yeah. He hasn't pitched well um for a while. And there's a whole lot of blue on his baseball savant page. And he pitched like it against the Dodgers on the opening game of that series. Kudos to him. He, he didn't, you know, he didn't like let the doors blow off of him. But still, I would don't think it was a good start. Um, so I was worried heading into that series, as you were too. We kind of doom posted a little bit last week in preparation of that that series, and we're like, this could be bad. But um, that's kind of where I was at after the first game, and I was like, okay, we got Degrom going game two. Like we need him to yeah. deliver, and he did. Yeah, he did. He did. He, he, he worked on a no-hitter, which Gary jinxed. Gary loves to do that. Did um, he? I was, I was at the, I mean. Oh, I, I, dude. 
dude, it was bad. He literally said four and a third, no hit innings. And then on the pitch, Justin Turner singled into left field. Like, mm-hmm. and then as soon as, you know, SNY has like the shot of Lindor diving and getting back up and you just hear Ron and keep both going, they're going to give it to you on Twitter. And Gary, like the, you know, like the, the smug bastard that he is in these times goes, I don't care. Like, we know you don't care, Gary. We know, we That's know true. you don't care. It's, it, 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 I, I, listen, I know that he thinks he has a job to do, like in these instances, and he does. Uh, he also has a job uh, to abide by unwritten rules, and he didn't. But that's that's neither here nor there. That was Degrom doing his thing. Also, I love Gary. I just want to put that out there. Gary is my favorite. Gary is my idol. Like I love him. Uh, he's not a smug bastard. He just had one. He just had a moment. But okay, I didn't. I I didn't know that because I was there. Oh. Um, that's funny. I think my own broadcaster Sam getting up on his soapbox for like twelve seconds. I think that if I was calling that game, usually what I do is if there's something like that brewing, I won't mm-hmm. allude to it until I'm tossing to break or coming out of break. No, nah, more so tossing to break. Like, oh, that's five no hit innings. We'll be right back. That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that way they can't break it up immediately after I say that. Uh, so, like, I also don't blame them. Like, because who cares? Jinxes aren't real. Like. Uh, no, they're not real. They're they're absolutely not real. But you have to, you can't, you have to show some uh, respect for. You gotta be a little more careful. Yes, yeah, that's that's what I'm getting at. But anyway, that's back to the positives or or yeah, whatever we're calling them. Uh, Dude, that game was so good. Yeah, that was I like mean, one of the best. It was yeah. like a freaking good game, dude. That it was one of the best experiences i've had at a game this season period and certainly in the last few years um i will i will say that you know the getting to the ballpark and getting out of the ballpark were significantly less good city field has a a, a legitimate parking issue right now uh like i'm looking forward to going to playoff games i am not looking forward to driving to playoff games because i the degrom game was I get that it was during the U.S. Open and that Serena was playing that night, but it was also a Wednesday, and there was so much traffic getting to the ballpark that I was on the road at five o'clock and I pulled into the parking lot at seven o three, and it normally takes me about fifty or so minutes to get to the ballpark, like. It was it was insane. The traffic surrounding the ballpark, getting into the ballpark, was ludicrous. Um, like I was like at City Field at like six thirty, and it took me like a half hour to get inside the gates. It that's how bad it was. And then getting out of the ballpark, and I had the same experience at Old Timers Day. And I think that this, regardless of the U.S. Open or not, I think this is just an issue with large crowds at City Field. Like, I think this is just going to be a thing during sellouts um, or near sellouts is that unless you get to your car extremely quickly, like leaving a few minutes before the final pitch is thrown or literally sprinting to your car after the final pitch, unless you can do that, uh, you're sitting in your car, not moving for 
20, 30 minutes. Like I, this has happened to me the last two times I went old timers game and this game where I was parked fairly close to exits. And for whatever reason, and these were two different exits too. Uh, cars just cars were not moving for roughly a half hour. Like I'm not even talking like inching forward towards the exit. I mean, unmoving um, complete standstill as if the gate for the exit hadn't even been opened. So like, I'm seriously considering next time I go to a big game um, taking public transit, which I like hardly ever do um, because I live outside the city. Yeah. But that's Jersey, yeah. It's New Jersey transit too, which is, you know, the absolute worst. Yeah. Anyways, um, that's my little yeah. spiel on, that's not a very positive thing to, you know, well, no, but it also doesn't have to do with the Mets. So it's like it, it you, you get a pass on it, I think. Um, although, yeah, they should get better at, I think, managing their parking thing. I don't think they expected that the team was going to get this many people all the time, which I don't know what to tell you. They're, they're, we like the team. We want to watch them. And, dude, like, I'm trying to get to games after. You've been to all the good ones, too. Like, I've missed, I've been to two games this year. Um, one was in June with my girlfriend, and it was like the only day of the summer where it was like under 70 degrees, and we were in the 500. So we were just getting, it was blowing the whole time. It was great. They won, but like, you know, uh, that was just kind of a, a regular win. Uh, and then I went to a game with a bunch of friends, uh, you know, Abigail, Rich, the likes, and they literally lost and left the time run 90 feet away because they didn't pinch hit Jeff McNeil for Tomas Nito. Like, and meanwhile, you've been to, you've been to the old timers event. You went to the Keith game. Uh, I right? did not go to the Keith. Game. Oh, you didn't go to the Keith game. I'm I sorry. was, well, okay. I've been to, I'm, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm five and zero oh this year, but I had the uh, big, I had the broad, you know, two month long gap in the middle where I didn't go to any games. Cause I was on Cape Cod working. That's right. Work, work, uh, um, but okay. you went to, I mean, would you say this was the best win of the year, though? There's been so many good ones that yeah. I don't know if I can say that. This was a pretty damn great win. And there's reasons for it. I mean, like, we haven't even talked about the narco of it, of it all, you know? Like, right. which is also so cool that, like, okay, Timmy Trumpet was there for the first game of the series. The Mets lost. And then he was like, hey, I'm coming out for the second game. I'm Australian. This is a terrible accent. It's more yeah. British. We're not going to be very We're not going to be very popular with the Australians now. I don't know how many listeners we get from Australia. I can check the, the listening metrics. What if Timmy Trumpet was listening to this? Timmy Trumpet, come on the pod. Oh my god, dude! That give us, just, that give us the same. Known. Give us the same three lines about how you're a Mets fan for life, and you'll be at the playoff game. I gotta say, listen, I gotta say. The ex- I don't think I've ever experienced uh, watching another person like become a fan the way that we all have experienced watching Timmy Trumpet become a Mets fan. It's very entertaining. This because he loves Mr. and Mrs. Met. I don't know if you picked that up or seen that, but like when he first saw the video of Edwin coming in, he was like, "Look at these guys!" And it's just a video of Mr. Met and Mrs. Met like pretending to play the trumpet. Like he's just got, he is so innocent. He has no idea like what watching the team is like, but he loves it anyway. And Man, like he didn't know what baseball was two months ago. No, he didn't know. He's just, you know, he's an Australian EDM guy. He's got a lot of more important things to do. And he has picked 
I think the craziest experience among the baseball fan experiences, like he's going to, I mean, when the Mets lose games now, like he's just going to hear it in his mentions. He's going to get the same, you know, I mean, he probably was getting a lot of people calling him jinx for, for the, the first one. Yeah. And I will say I was getting like Donnie Stevenson flashbacks because the Mets for the most part this year have done a very good job of like, not trying extremely embarrassingly hard to make everything like a meme. Like, do you remember the home run horse last year? Like there were just a lot of little things that like they tried to cultivate like a whole culture around and like really the best culture to, to build is just like a culture of fans watching your team win. Um, and they've, they've, you know, they've done a good job sticking to that script this year. Uh, and ultimately like the Timmy Trumpet thing never ended up getting to that point, but like I was a little bit worried that they were going to like overdo the bit and they didn't. Um, and they, I mean, not only did they not overdo it, but the way that they executed the Wednesday night game um, was perfect. I mean, they had everybody in baseball watching them that night, that ninth inning. And Edwin Diaz was like, perfect. Like, I think a lot of people were worried that like we were going to listen to a great song and then watch Edwin Diaz implode. And he did it. He was he was lights out. He it was like a one two three ten pitch ninth inning. Yeah, it was, it was perfect. So great. It was, it was so for great. a two for a two one game against the Dodgers. Yeah, with like the middle of their it was like two three and four in their lineup too. Yeah, it was like like remarkably low stress. Yeah, the slider was just so good. And then obviously, like he came out the next day and threw one hundred three. Um, almost like, gave up two missile home runs. Yeah. Yeah. But the one Oh three, I think makes up for all of it. Uh, yeah, anyway. uh, but like, okay. So there was the Edwin thing. Like, we'll probably talk about the narco thing like all year. Cause it might be like the, the best, I think entrance, uh, associated with any player or at least the most popular movement you know where you're you know i think equating a picture and a song together since enter sandman like it's gotten to that point now i think where wherever he goes next it's going to be his song too like i know that braves fans are really pissed because like william Contreras has his own little thing with the song where like when he hits a home run they play it and like that's fun that's walk-up like, music i thought it is also his walk-up music like they do little things to troll and and make it like it's theirs but they, really like yeah they every- played it during the rain delay on sunday they played it after the mets game went final yeah even when edwin diaz like has a bad game that song belongs to him and it doesn't matter if he's a met or a a, a, a philly or a national or an astro or a whatever like he's he's going to use that song and everyone's going to know that it's the edwin diaz song um which is great. And he's been I, using it since he was a Mariner. Like, is it, right? has it been that long? He's used it on and off, but he was using it when he was like really good in Seattle. That I didn't know. I knew that he yeah. started, I knew that he was using it last year because they talked about it a little bit last season. Think he went, I think he was using it in 2018. Yeah. And but, then he went, yeah. he went back to it a little in 2020 and then was using it a lot more last year. And now it's his full time thing. I mean, it, it reminds me, like, obviously this is to a lesser extent, but I mean, Mets fans really, really enjoyed when Jerry's Familia was really good and yeah. Donza Kuduro became very much his entrance song. I mean, it was his entrance song, but like, I very much associated it with him. But also, yeah. like, I have really weird associations based on songs that pitchers use. Like, I still associate um weezer's island in the sun with jacob rain 
because that's what he used to walk out. I did not know he used that. That's very funny. They got a <laughs> lot of good walk-up songs. It's it's. I feel Dude, like- Adam Ottavino's got a great one. Or uh, Trevor May. By Trevor- Big Cuddy. Yeah, Trevor May's got a good one. It's Coheed and Cambria, Welcome Home, which has got a great little guitar lick at the beginning that he uses. Yeah. It's great. Oh, it's Michael so Gibbons doing Ready or Not is also really good. Uh, I hadn't heard his yet. It's it's also it's it's also it goes pretty hard. I mean, the thing to your point about Familia is like, I also associate that song with him, and that's his song. Um, but I think there's like another level that you need to climb as a player when you own the song. Where like, oh yeah, that song, and like, not only do people know it's your song, but people know that like you're gonna just like you're gonna just tear it up. You're gonna go out and you're gonna throw ten pitches. The game's gonna be over in five minutes. The other team's going to piss its pants. Like, I never, like, honestly, I had some experiences listening to, to Donza when Jerry's came in where I was like, oh, my God, like, they're going to give it back. Like, they're going to lose. You know what I mean? And, like, that's not, even when he was good, I had feelings like that. Like, I remember distinctly, like, him coming into game five of the World Series, which I was at, and they brought him in after, like, Harvey came out of the game, and they played that song, and I didn't I didn't feel good. Um if it were on the, if the shoe had been on the other foot and Diaz had been coming in with Narco playing in that same spot, I think I would have been like, all right, like it's go time. They're going to win. Um, yeah. I think I, that's why I was trying to say that it was like, yeah. Familia was like to a lesser extent right. because like, I think if you ask like a Padres fan or a White Sox fan in 2016, what Jerry's Familia's entrance music is, they wouldn't have been able to tell you. But if you, ask one of those same fans or you ask a Mariners fan or a Guardians fan or um, Rangers fan now like someone who actually pays attention to baseball and you're like I you ask either direction you say who's who's the trumpets guy or you say what does Edwin Diaz walk into and they're going to say the trumpet song you know like everyone knows it in baseball now it's become so pervasive like it talk about memes as a part of culture as like a thing before the internet like this is like a meme. This is something that has spread so far through baseball culture that it's like it's spreading into other yeah. areas of our culture. Like people get married to that song now. Really? That there's a guy who was like, my wife said that if I get you know 3,900 likes on this tweet, uh, I can use Narcos as my walkout song at our wedding, and he got like you know 5,400. So he got Narcos. Like people are. People are people are are embracing this thing. It's obviously it's being used at other sporting events now. Like I I saw because yesterday was the first Saturday of the college football season, or this weekend was the first Saturday of the college football season, and I think maybe it was Alabama. It was I don't remember specifically which college it was. It was a major program, and it was someplace in like the southeastern United States. Because I remember thinking that oh, that's close enough to Atlanta that like. Braves fans are getting pissed off in the replies because yeah. I, th- I think it was Alabama. And like, if I'm wrong, someone tweeted me or whatever, but um, someone like literally tweeted at the Mets and was like, are we doing this right? And they were, it was a video of them playing the trumpet song in their giant packed college dome um, or bowl or whatever, you know, the stadium. What I want to know is like, where was, where was this song when like I was walking in my graduation? Like, where was this song when I needed it most? You know what I mean? Like still being used by Edwin Diaz. I walked to graduation in May. Like it was still being used by Edwin Diaz. It just hadn't blown up yet. But like, where was my, what I mean is where was my music? Like, that's the thing that I'm getting at. Like, like 
it really is also just i think taking off as this this like theme song thing because it also has like a wwe uh aura around it where like you're affiliating like you know coming in to do anything with that song like everyone has their own like ninth inning that they you know and they have their own narcos that they play before they go in and do it um but i mean yeah so that's that's diaz and that's timmy trumpet and that was like SNY as usual just did like a tremendous job capturing it. And I know you didn't get this cause you were getting the live experience of the game. I watched it, you know, the clip afterwards. Yeah. It was very cool to see live too. Oh, so great. And Timmy Trumpet was just like having so much fun with it. I just, I, that <laughs> they, was... I don't know. I, I don't remember how clearly they can see this. If you can see this on the SNY video version of it, but like he was out on the field for a long time. He was out on the field for the entirety of Edwin's warmups. Yeah. And I was waiting because he was like still dancing. Right. The song was still playing as like, I forget who led off the inning. Trey Turner maybe um, was like walking to the plate. Yeah. And I was waiting for like people to be like, all right, get off the field. Like for an umpire to like motion towards him to get off the field because that's how long he was on the field. He did not want to get off the field. Yeah. And it was hysterical. I was like, Edwin was finishing his warm up pitches. Uh, the catcher threw down to second and he's like still like bumping like still dancing yeah, he's like riding the trumpet like it's a horse or whatever yes. uh god man he's 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 great i really hope that even if it's not an actual like ninth inning playoff thing like i hope he gets to do like you know like take me out to the ball game again or like piano like, man or something like that bring him to a playoff game and like i don't care if he does trumpets live or not but like have him do something pregame to like hype up the crowd please yeah please so that would yeah, be cool that would be cool i mean so there's the fan experience like at we, its apex yeah. uh there's the degrom experience at its apex because that's that's the best team in baseball and he carved them up um yeah. but then sandwiched between those two moments you have maybe the best defensive play that's been made in a met game in i'm going to say 16 years like it was that good I think honestly and it wasn't just the fact that like it saved the game or whatever although you have to take that into account like I legitimately think this had the same catch probability it had the same um effect Gary had the same sort of call on it it was it was it was amazing I cannot get over this Brandon Nimmo catch I cannot stop watching it literally even the sound of him crashing into the wall like that um it brings me just unprecedented amounts of serotonin it is the best play i've ever seen since andy chavez it was watching it it was good it's so good and it was great like live because the crowd just went on on contact yes silent yeah was oh god he just gave up because he had given up the homer to mookie yeah which was a no doubter like that was a piss missile yeah and so here he is he left a fastball up to like washed justin turner who even when he's washed ish is still doing stuff against the mets because of course he right is. This um, is the guy that's gonna do it right like there's that to it also like yeah geez, like, i mean it, yeah i mean there was never a, ends there was some dude sitting behind me in the crowd who was like sitting with his girlfriend and he was like explaining stuff to her the whole game uh-huh. and like the first time he came up to bat he was like 
this guy was on the Mets and he was yeah. really bad on the Mets, but they gave him away for nothing and he became a star. And I mean, I just, you had the, the, the Justin Turner talk with your girlfriend? <laughs> no, haven't. You haven't. It's not, it's not a necessary conversation. To have. Uh, uh, I disagree, but whatever. Um, so, like, of course, like if someone's going to do something like that, it's going to be him. Because he has this aura of, he's a heel now. Like he's a Yadier Molina. He's a Travis Darno. He's a he's he's. Oh, Darno is quickly becoming that. Yeah, like he isn't already. Yeah, it's it's a common. It's like, yeah, it's not Chase Utley levels of of terrorism, but like it's it's hard to be. It's it's. I get what you mean. It's hard to be Utley when you're not in the same division. Yeah, you know. Like yeah. Darno could be Utley in a in a sense. He's not he's not an evil guy like Utley is. Right. Like Utley, I think has the character arc too. Um, I also think Turner probably has stuck it to the Mets more than Darno has. But then again, like Turner has like three years on Travis because of how recently Travis got dumped and um, you know how long ago Justin Turner because Turner was doing this to the Mets like when Jacob Degrom had long hair and they were in the playoffs together. Like this is just what Justin Turner does. But I was convinced, like, that's it. Like, Justin Turner is going to tie the game. Jacob DeGrom is having his, you know, giving up solo home runs moment. Like, the Dodgers are going to take this thing, especially after the way they lost on Tuesday night. Um, you know, it just, it, it just felt like things were getting taken away. And yeah. for the most part, like, I take for granted how good a defender Brandon Nimmo is. And I'm like, there's no way Nimmo's catching this. There's no way Brandon Nimmo is getting up there and getting that ball. Um, he did. He did. It he looked did. like it looked off the bat. Like it was it was a missile. It looked like it was gonna leave. Um it was low, but it had carry to it and it was hit extremely hard. And I I I had the same thought as you. I was like, here we go. Off yep. the bat, it was, you know, a half second, a split second thought because the play developed so quickly. But in my head, I'm like, okay, that's a tie game and they're going to lose. They're going to give up a three spot and extras. Like they always have one loss to the Dodgers. I feel like where they play them tight and they could win it. And then they lose an extras. Like did that last year a couple times. Like, oh, this is going to suck. But I was like, oh, he's getting back on that ball. Is he going to be able to make play? Uh, oh my God. Like, yeah. Uh, and then the reaction that he had. Yeah. And where, the reaction Jake had. Oh my God. Yeah. Jake, he got a smile out of Jake. He yeah. tipped his cap to Brandon, both arms in the air. Like, oh, my God. And Brandon is a guy who, in general, obviously, he's the most excitable man in baseball. Right. But, like, he's hardly ever, like, a like an F yeah kind of guy. Like, he's it's always, like, like a, it's not like a I did that, I'm the man. Yeah, it's always man. like a <laughs> gorsh. I just hit a homer. He always acts like he's been there before. You know what I mean? Like, even the walks, like, he acts like he's walked before he does the sprint every time. Like that was, that was just like ascended on fire, Brandon Nemo. And it was, it was pure astoundment that he made that play. It was like, he, I can't yeah. believe I just did that. And I'm fired up. He earned that too, though, because like, just on a, you look at Savant and I know that like defensive metrics are still very sticky and hard to, to get down pad and really get accurate results from, but, I mean, this is maybe like the fourth or fifth time Brandon Nimmo has made a really, really good acrobatic style defensive play to save a run. And like, 
the arm is always going to be an issue, but like there was a time when this guy just could not play center field. I think even at the beginning of the season, when the Mets decided that they were going to go with Marte and right and Nimmo and center, we were very critical of that. And I think a lot of people were very confused as to why the Mets made that decision. Um, but Nimmo has pretty much earned it in a way that I think I, I, I don't think Pete Alonso's, uh, you know, emergence as a first baseman in his rookie year, for example, comes anywhere close to this. I don't think I've ever seen a player on a defensive level go from what Nimmo was even last year, much less two years ago, to what he is now. Um, it's probably not like gold glove caliber, but it's actually like legitimately good at tracking and catching fly balls now. Yeah, uh, they've we've been hearing this story, I think, since the catch yeah. that Brandon, you know, has gained speed and he's trained to get faster. And, you know, not many guys as they approach 30 are gaining a step, I think, is something that literally Gary said this week. Yeah. Like, Because uh, he wants to be a center fielder. Like when he came up, the book on him was he doesn't have the arm for right. He doesn't have the range for center and he's got the bat probably to stick in the majors and he can go and, and catch baseballs. But like, it's a yeah. left fielder. This is a guy who's going to play left field because he doesn't have the arm and he doesn't have the range, but he has the range. Now he gets to stuff. He gets to almost everything. Yeah. Like he is uh, like um an above average runner. Now he's, I don't think he's elite, but he's like, bordering on borderline elite it's very good closing speed the closing speed is great yeah and uh like he he's fast he's a fast guy and it it doesn't show as much i think in his base running so much like he doesn't beat out a ton of infield hits and um you know this is yeah he also doesn't try and steal like no he doesn't steal bases he'll score from first on this this is the kind of thing with certain of the like some of these bigger athletic guys like Brandon's like six three or so like he's a bigger guy, so th- this is just something that I've noticed that there's two types of fast guys. There's the fast guys that are fast from the first step they take, like Terrence Gore, mm-hmm. who they explode off that first pivot step when they're on the base pads and they're just off. Or there's guys like Brandon. And we had, a, I had a guy on my team this summer who his name is Braden Montgomery, who is, was out. He's outstanding. Like he's a switch hitter. He was packed 12 freshman of the year at Stanford this year. Um, uh, power hitting corner, switch hitting corner outfielder with a cannon of an arm. He also pitches. He's a two way guy. Like he's 96 on the mound and he pitched for us too. Outstanding, super athlete. Just uh, what didn't ever look like he was fast coming out of the batter's box. But like once he got moving, yeah, he was exceptionally fast and it was like he had this sense of momentum to him. So I think that's the other type of fast runner that guys who just once they get going, they get going and they are are quick off of that fourth or fifth or sixth step. And I think Brandon's one of those guys. And to Brandon's credit, as a center fielder, he also gets really good first steps on balls. like his yeah. jump is always pretty good. And it used to be horrible. Like that was the thing that he used to have a really hard time with was simply reading balls off the bat, constantly getting beat on line drives, taking bad first steps, um, taking like circuitous routes to balls. Um, That was a home run ball that Turner hit that needed, that required, you know, every step to be perfect and the jump to be perfect. Um, Yeah. He didn't get back to the, he didn't get back to the wall and had time to like time it and leap he was on a dead sprint and he just catapulted as he approached the wall. 
and he caught it while he was moving back to the fence. And that was also like a, we're going to win this game catch. Honestly. Oh yeah. Like once that happened, it was like, all right, they're going to win. Um, doesn't always work out that way. No, it doesn't. As like, we know, as Mets yeah. fans know better than any team. Right. Literally the, the last catch of that caliber, we thought they were going to win and they didn't like everyone thought they were going to win. And then Yadier Molina happened. Um, very grateful. Justin Turner didn't get another at bat in that game. Um, cause he might've actually had something to say about that. I mean, he almost took Edwin deep, you know, the following day. So really like, who's to say, get the Dodgers um, out of town and hope that I we think, somehow avoid him in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, my last point on this, just on that day in general, when I talk about it being the best win of the year, I think that we've kind of, I think with the Rockies win, uh, the Mets have basically progressed past a point of watching the team win games and thinking like, man, like they just keep winning these games in these unbelievable ways to like watching a team win a game and do these amazing things um, against a really good team for that matter and coming out on top. And it's like, this team is really, really good. Like that was, I think at this, and the later we get into the season, the more those are going to matter. But I think that at least until the brave series, if it matters by then, there isn't going to be a win that even as exciting a walk-off, a comeback, whatever, I don't think it's going to be as it's not going to have the same gravity that this one did simply because of who it came against, how they got that win. Um, and also to some extent what it meant for them the following day, because they basically lived off of that win for two more days. Um, that I think, uh, I wouldn't say it's like the, the most amazing finish of the year, like, cause that's its own thing, but that's the game that I think is most likely to appear in like Mets classics, for example, like that was a Mets classic that had Jacob deGrom pitching a great game. It had Brandon Nimmo making a ridiculous catch. It had Timmy Trumpet um, and it had the Mets winning and all of those things falling into place at the same time. Like, any one of those things on its own could have been enough for the Mets to lose. Jacob deGrom starting as great as he is, like they constantly blow good Jacob deGrom games. Uh, they constantly squander, you know, game-changing plays the way Nimmo's changed the game. And they constantly trip in front of everybody when like the spotlight is on them the way it was in the ninth inning. And they did it at any of those stops. And I think that's really neat. So that's where I'm going to, I think end on that. Like I thought it was, I thought basically it was the best of everything and it happened against the best team in baseball. Like, and I'm, I'm really trying to, hopefully that's not the best win of the season from here on out. Hopefully the best win of the season is the last win of the season. That's right. Exactly. I think that's the attitude uh, to take on it. But like as, as for right now, I think like that's the one that, I will go to the most often when I really need to remind myself of like what this team is and what this year has been. Uh, that's yeah. I don't know how much, how much more you have on that or if you want to remember guys, but that's, I've, I've pretty much spilled all the ink that I can. I agree with you. It rocked. It was really cool being there. Sunday felt, you know, touch and go for part of it. But once they tacked on runs late, it was like, all right, yeah, we're, we're chilling. We just took a series from the Dodgers. This was cool. Uh, yeah, so that was cool. Obviously, the games that followed it, not as cool. But, um, yeah, let's remember some guys quick and, uh, and, and send the fans off to this series in Pittsburgh. Jack, who you got? I got Marlon Anderson, who I've Ooh. 
never remember to this point, but I was thinking about like bench guys and I was thinking about role-playing guys. And I was thinking about, um, I mean, Terrence Gore is really of his own caliber as a pinch runner. Like the Mets generally haven't really had a guy who was just there to run. Um, but as far as guys who I wish they had right now to just hit the way that like Vogelback should be hitting the way that Naquin and Ruff should be hitting uh, Marlon Anderson was like really, I think doesn't get enough credit for the way he performed on those two teams, uh, the 07 and 08 teams, but especially the 07 team down the stretch, like as they were collapsing because their offense was really, I mean, their pitching staff was the worst of it, but like, they were missing production from a lot of their key players. Like I think Delgado had a really bad last month of the year, but was going through the game logs on Marlon Anderson because I wanted to be right. I thought I remembered him being really, really good um, down the stretch of that year when seemingly no one else was. And the numbers are really good. It was primarily a pinch hitting role. These are the last 25 games of the year. So it's August 19th through September 30th, 2007. It's 25 games. 23 as a pinch hitter um he went 12 for 29 he slugged 828 huh. um no play in 24 in 25 games he had 15 runs batted in um 1265 ops uh 414 average 435 babbit uh just unprecedented performance i would love it if somebody had a marlon anderson september uh, that would be that would be great. Also, among the four Dodgers who hit consecutive home runs in a game, that was also something he did. Yeah, he did and do he, that. Was it? It wasn't a walk. Was it a walk off inside the Parker? Uh, no, it was a game tying. But game I think, tying. It's yeah, bad. it was. It was awesome. That was also great. Uh, yeah, that that was a, a Mets uh, classics like staple on TV. Um, I got to see that a couple times. I never, I was, I wasn't a fan at that point, you know, so I didn't really experience that like firsthand, Same. but yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's, a, there's some, there's some, there, yeah, there's some Marlon Anderson stuff floating around about things he did. Um, all this chat this weekend against the nationals about uh, Joey Manessis and he spent 11 seasons in the minor leagues and all that stuff. And now he's big leader. Think about Scott Rice. Got me thinking about Scott Rice, who I think we may have remembered in like an early episode. Yeah, probably. But early, yeah. Scott Rice made 480 minor league appearances in 14 seasons, including with three different independent league teams. Yeah. The Long Island Ducks, the Newark Bears, and the York Revolution before oh, making his major league debut. He's one of the rare uh, reverse ducks, reverse duck to Met. Usually it's Mets to Ducks. Um, I did not know that. I did not know he played for the Ducks. That's cool. But uh, he was fun. Yeah. He he uh, made the Mets opening day roster in 2013 after he was uh, a first round pick in 1999 by the Baltimore Jesus. Orioles. And he, he stuck with it. And he, he had two decent seasons as a, a loogie in the Mets pen. So. Good, good stuff, Scott Rice. Always thinking about you when I hear these stories of longtime minor leaguers who make the big leagues for the first time. That's cool. Good on you, Scott Rice. I uh, think I made a, a fan cam of a guy like during the quarantine when I was really bored. I had just a phase where I was making fan cams of just random nets. I, I think remember. I have, you do? 
Oh, yeah. Okay. Maybe we have to dig that up and pull it out. We should honestly, if the team wasn't doing well this year, I'd go back to that. But there's so much just to be enjoyed about where they are. But the Scott Rice 2013, 2013 Scott Rice was just, you couldn't touch him. Uh, Terry loved to use him. Terry Collins loved using him. I thought that was, uh, at least I remember it being that way. Uh, and potentially why he only lasted like a year and a half in the majors, uh, you know, because you pitch for Terry Collins and then when you get optioned, you're pitching for Wally Backman. Yeah. He made like 73 appearances that first season. Yeah. Uh, he, he fought hard to make it to the majors. So I, that was a pretty cool story. Um, he got his, his year plus of service time and he deserved it. I wonder and what he's up to now. I have no idea. Does Wikipedia doesn't say. To, we have to get him on the pod. We got to get Scott Rice on here. Talk Scott Rice, him. come on the pod. Scott Rice, come on the pod. I think uh, talking about Scott Rice coming to the pod for a future episode means we got to shelve this one, though. A little segue to get us out of here. This was episode 94 of the Pleasant Good Evening podcast. We're marching along towards the century mark here on PGE. He's Jack Hendon. I'm Sam Lebowitz. The Mets get the Pirates this week. Game tomorrow. Hope you had a good Labor Day. But now back to baseball. Um, and then a double header, and then the Marlins, I think, right? We get the Marlins. That's, uh, yeah, I got yeah, I think it's in Miami. Yeah, it's in, it's Miami. in Miami. Okay, okay. So Pirates, Marlins, little road trip, and hopefully the Mets play much better than they did against the Nationals again. Jack Hendon, I'm Sam Lovewoods, and Mets fans, have a pleasant day. Oh, 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 oh,